Alright, so man, I challenged y'all a couple weeks ago that you need to be able to teach, right? Apt. Acknowledge it's your responsibility, plan, prepare, and then try and teach. Do it, right? A-P-T, apt. I'm not a good speller. You can ask my wife, but I can get that one. Alright, so in teaching, you got to give the basics. That's where you got to start. Sometimes you have to do that in as simple as way possible. Sometimes they're complex subjects that feel overwhelming, and you just got to work on it. And the scripture says line upon line, precept upon precept. And so if I don't say anything new to you today, I do not apologize. You need to be reminded, and I have a duty to teach. And so we're going to start with, this is going to be primarily teaching. There's some sermons that they feel more like sermons, some feel like teaching. This is going to feel more like teaching, probably. Maybe the Lord will bless, and it'll get, um, just to be a real encouragement to you. Please don't check out on me. I'm, this is not dry stuff. It may feel like it. And we could talk about theology. Theology is the study of God. So theos is in Greek. Learning my little, thank y'all for that little Greek grammar book you gave me at your house and you moved like that. I'm enjoying the hound out of it. It was written back in the 40s, and it's just, it's about teaching yourself. That's the way it's just structured. And so, um, but I've made a lot of connections. Not that I know Greek by any stretch. I'm learning. But it's been very helpful. And so, um, we all got room to grow. I got room to grow. So, I'm going to read a statement to you. This was, this was found in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, can you imagine this being written in a dictionary published today? All right. It's a quote. It says, Both the elect and the non-elect are born into the world in a state of total depravity and alienation from God and can of themselves do nothing but sin. Imagine finding that in a dictionary published today. <laughs> I'll read it one more time, and then we're going to try and unpack that statement. Both the elect and the non-elect, ooh, they're acknowledging the election exists. That's more than most folks will do today. Both the elect and the non-elect are born into the world in a state of total depravity and alienation from God and can of themselves do nothing but sin. I agree with this statement. So, if you were to teach somebody, could you define total depravity? I can give you one definition. We'll start with that. We can work from there. The innate corruption of human nature due to original sin. It's a good definition. If you know what original sin is and you know what the word innate means. And what do we mean by corruption? How about for a working definition, we'll do something a little shorter. How about we say the condition of being completely corrupt and estranged from God. Again, all these things are saying the same thing. We're just trying to package it in a little bit different way to get us to think and internalize and chew on it. Y'all ever had somebody in your life that you were estranged from or you knew somebody who had an estranged relationship? We use that expression today. right? Something had come between them. You, I mean, 
The brother we had that visited, he hadn't talked to his brothers in 50 years. That's an estranged relationship. Something had come between them, and until that was removed, there was a separation of the relationship and of the fellowship. Right? And so, by nature, you and I are estranged from God. What's come between us? What separates us? The fact that we're sinners, right? The fact that we are sinners, okay? And we are in a state, naturally, our default, where we start from, of being completely corrupt. And we're going to unpack that and look at that more as we go through this morning. It's one of those things, there's so many things to talk about, you don't really know where to start, you can't really explain this without having it over here, and so we're just going to jump into it. And we're going to start with a question, total depravity, so being completely corrupt and estranged from God, how did we get here? Let's start there. All right? Our big uh, definition used due to original sin. Let's go look and see what that is a reference to. Using um, very specific terminology is good. When I was a lawyer, we used very specific words and very specific meanings to convey very specific information. To other people who knew exactly what those words meant, it works very well. But if you're talking to others who don't know exactly what those words mean, or they're used by different people differently, then they're not as helpful. And you need to be able to go back and say, what are we really talking about? Don't use the short code word if the code is not translating um, accurately to whoever you're talking to. And so sometimes we get in trouble because we say one thing, let's you know, say, I was saved by grace. A lot of people say that expression, and they have a very different understanding about what that means. So, how do we get here? This is referring to the doctrine of original sin. We go all the way back to Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3 is where it all really goes down. It was set up in chapter 2. God made man. God is the creator. We agree? Okay. He formed him from dirt. Y'all ever feel real high about yourself? You're dirt. <laughs> okay. We ain't that great. <laughs> God took dirt, formed it into his image, and breathed the breath of life into it, and man was created. He became a living soul. He was different from the animals. God just spoke, and they were all created. He formed man. He breathed into him. Created a garden for him. Planted it just for him. He was to tend it and till it and work it, and he was made good. Very good. God's work was perfect. There was without flaw. He gave man one instruction. You may eat of all the trees of this garden freely, but of that one right there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you may not. You are forbidden. We talk about sin. Sin is rebellion against God. God defines what is right and what is wrong. The expression will appear in your scriptures throughout it is because it seemed right in the eyes of the Lord. He defines what is right and wrong. So here you may think that God's decision for Adam not to eat of that tree is arbitrary. It does not matter what you think. That was God's call. Adam and his bride, whom God made and gave to him, would disobey that call. Before they did that, they were perfect. They were not estranged from God. 
God would commune with them. They would walk together in the cool of the garden, right? There was a perfect peace and unity and harmony. And Adam and Eve sinned. Now, Eve and Adam both had the same activity that occurred. But Adam, as the figurehead for the whole human race, his choice to rebel against God willfully, there's no element of ignorance in here, he knew what was told and he did the opposite anyway. He was deceived. He was not. He chose to obey against God and so God told him, in the day that you do it, you shall die. And from that moment, he began to physically die and ultimately he would. Before that moment, death was not a part of the world. All right? There were no carnivores. All the animals were created vegetarians. Right? Men were not authorized to eat animals till after the flood. And it wasn't until after the fall that there was the first death, which was the killing of an animal to give skins to cover Adam and Eve. Right? So they ate. They are immediately estranged from God. His eyes are far too pure to behold sin. Does that mean he can't see us? No. God sees everything. God knows everything. He's not ignorant. There's not a limitation on him, but he will never look at sin and hold it in approval. Never. And so what happened with Adam and Eve is that there was an immediate change in their relationship with God. There was a gulf that had been put in between. That was the gulf of sin. They were now sinners. Their nature changed. Whereas there had been perfect peace and harmony, you have a reaction of fear. She took of the fruit. Her husband also he did eat. I'm in verse 3 and 7. Their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. They, showed, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. He calls on them. He says, I heard thy voice and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So where there was perfect peace and harmony in the relationship with God, now you have fear. You have shame, you have cover-ups, you have lies. And then you're going to have deflection of, well, it really wasn't my fault, God. The woman that you gave me made me do it. Right? You've got self-justification. You've got passing the buck. You've got all these elements of our sin nature showing up immediately. Okay? Because of that event, this is what we refer to as original sin, the first sin, Adam was your representative. You weren't there to get a vote, but every descendant from him thereafter has that same estrangement, separation, alienation, whatever word you want to do, that separates you from God the Father. Okay? Every human. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 is as clear as it can get. If you were to explain total depravity, where does it come from? You start from the garden, and then you go to Romans chapter 5 and say, and here's how I know. Wherefore, Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world. Who's that a reference to? Adam. Wherefore as Adam, that one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men 
or that all have sinned. Okay. Are there any non-sinners? No. All have sinned. Death was the consequence. The wages of sin is death. And would Adam die? Yeah, long time, 900-something years, but he would die. And every single one who came from Adam's line, every human born thereafter, would die. Right? Because they were sinners. Right? That is the nature that they inherited. What's your inheritance from your father and mother? They're sinners. You're sinners too. Okay? And you can see that corruption in their nature immediately. They had two children, Adam and Eve, right? They had two sons. Cain and Abel. And they were good boys. One was a farmer. One was a shepherd. They both wanted to give a sacrifice to God. And I use that term good ironically. Please don't confuse me. They're both sacrificing to God. Well, we think that's a good thing. And God had respect unto one and not the other. Why? Was the, the lamb the better sacrifice than the food? It had nothing to do with what they offered. It had to do with who they were. One was righteous and had faith. And those were not of himself. And the other did not. And God's rejection of the one who did not, that it counted that he was wicked. And you know what? His wickedness really quickly revealed itself. Because when he respect, there was no respect given to his offering, but there was his brother. Well, you can see, I'm jealous. I'm upset. I'm angry. And I'm going to murder my brother. And he did. Not just think about it. Not just, I hate him in my heart. That guy's a right? He physically killed him. And within just a few generations, the world is covered with men and it describes their imagination of their hearts as nothing but wickedness. This is Genesis 6, verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So he wipes it out. Spares Noah, Noah's three boys, their respective spouses. You got eight people out of the whole world of people, and you better believe this was not a small crowd. All right? If you can live eight, nine hundred years and have sons and daughters and plethora, I mean, just sometimes we read that, you know, in a little children's Bible story. Oh, look at the animals on the boat and everything's happy. This is a catastrophic event. This is global wipeout. You know, everyone gets so upset about the doomsday clock before people wiped out, you know, they're going to destroy the world, destroy the planet, and everybody's going to die. You know what happened here? The planet was basically destroyed and everybody died except for the eight that God said, you're going to live. This is a big deal. How wicked was the world? How wicked was their hearts? How, what was their imaginations? Oval, only evil continually. Are we different than they? By nature, no. Well, you start with the good people on the boat. Well, surely things are going to be better going forward, right? No more problems. You wiped out the bad apples. You just got some good ones. 
We get off the boat, we go build a tower to heaven. <sighs> Rebelling against God. Tells them to overspread and repopulate the planet. No, we're going to stick together. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to do what I want. We're in charge. Right? They're rebelling against God. So God scatters them and changes life. Yeah, so that's where we got. And it hasn't changed in all these years. Okay, so that's the question. How do we get here? He's talking about the doctrine of original sin. It's talking about Adam disobeying God. And by him being the figurehead and the representative for all humans down through eternity until you know this time wraps up and God's done, every human that's born that's just human, asterisk there on Christ, we understand that, is going to have that same sinful nature because of Adam's choice to sin. Is there, is there, is there a choice? Just for Adam. Everyone else inherited the fallout. All right? We understand that. Good? All right. Who's affected? I just said it, but we're going to just really pound it home. Who is affected? The answer is all of humanity. All of humanity. Every man, woman, child, baby is affected. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. Again, I'm going to the clearest passages. There are others that support these truths. I'm not trying to present my case before, you know, the court of your opinion that, I'm, I, could, that I could lay down every piece of evidence and just hammer you over the head. I mean, we could spend days and days and days and days doing that. You want to know more about it? Let's do it. I won't do it here in this format, but I'm going to go to the clearest, easiest, simplest scriptures that don't have ambiguity that I'm not trying to really lean too far in to get out these truths. It's, it's right there. If you open your eyes and you've been born again, that's what you'll see. If you close your eyes and hit your head in the sand, well, maybe you'll ignore it. But that's not all me. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is... None that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. Any that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God can be really explicit. Sometimes he, he sets things up as a mystery and he slowly unfolds them and reveals them. This is not a mystery. This is a two-by-four upside your skull with plainness. Corrupt are they. Why do we use the corruption in our definition? The condition of being completely corrupt and estranged from God? Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. That corruption... That state of being corrupt, that's, that is your condition. That is who you are. The abominable things is what you do. Okay? You are corrupt. By nature, every human is 
corrupt. And they do abominable things. You sin because you are a sinner. All right? Abominable. Loathsome. That's a fun word. Detestable. Abhorrent. Who's detesting it? Who loathes it? Who abhors it? God. It's His standard. Who's affected? Everyone. Everyone. And by nature, we're all saying there is no God. We're all those kings rebelling against God. We're going to cast off accords. He doesn't rule over me. I am my own God. I can do what I want. Corrupt are they and done abominable iniquity. That's, that's the, the action, the sin. There is none that doeth good. Who doeth good? None. None. Now, you want to know how explicit God is about making sure that you get this point? Flip over to Psalm 14. I'm not going to turn there, but you just take a glance at it. It's almost a word-for-word -word repetition of Psalm 53. So not only does he repeat himself over and over within this psalm about what is man. He's corrupt. He does abominable iniquities. There's none that doeth good. He looks down upon the children of men and sees that they are all gone out of the way. There's none that understands. There's none that seek God. They're all gone back. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Who's affected? Everyone. This is, this is foundational. You say, well, Brother John, you're kind of hammering this. Yeah, I am. Because sometimes we ignore this and act like something's different. Right? We put a standard of, of good. Well, somebody's doing something that I like, and therefore they are good. That ain't it. Right? The standard that God sees is that everything we do by nature, is sin. Without his intervention, we're not capable of doing anything but sin. There's none that are seeking after God on their own. There's none that are desiring to do good on their own. You say, well, so-and-so does these things, and that's helpful to society, and it's, it's moral, and it's just. I'm talking about God's definition of good. It is impossible to please God without faith. And when you're in this state, you have no faith because he has not given it to you yet. Okay? None. Alright. So you may ask, are you sure? <laughs> are there any exceptions? Go to the book of Job. Just back one from Psalms. Start in Job 15. Job 15, let's read verses 14 through 16. This is Eliphaz speaking, and Eliphaz is you know, one of the miserable comforters, and you've got to be careful when you're reading that, because um, sometimes they're saying things that aren't necessarily straight and, and just right and proper. Um, sometimes they're saying things that are right, but they're applying it wrongly. Here he's got it right. Verse 14, What is man that he should be clean... And what is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he, that's God, putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. 
drinking up. That's a pretty gross word picture, but it's pretty accurate. Man by ourselves is not righteous. And if the whole creation is corrupt, this is God's not even putting trust um, in the heavens, right? And, and is this creation corrupted? Yeah. That's why it's not going to last. That's why there's going to be a new place that he prepares for his people to dwell for forever. It's not going to be this same one that's corrupted. He puts no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh in iniquity like water. Go back one chapter to Job 14 and verse 14, uh, verse 4. Job here speaking is asked the question. Uh, let's start in verse 1. Man that is born of a woman is a few days, yeah, we're mortal and we're going to die, and full of trouble. Full of trouble. Why? Because things are just rough for you? Because the world's done unto you? No, because you're a sinner. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Again, referring to his mortality. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bring me into judgment with thee? Verse 4, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. We sure there's not an exception for some folks being born sinless? Who can bring, bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? All right, let's, uh, let's use a word picture. Anybody ever had a gallon of milk go bad? I mean like bad, like like chunky bad, like you open it up and you're about to have a bad day, right? How many times are you going to have to pour from that gallon until you get some good milk? Never! But what if I take two bad gallons and pour them in? How many glasses of good milk am I going to get? Not a bit. Your parents... Both sour jugs of milk. They're unclean. <laughs> you, as their offspring, are poured out. You're made of the same stuff. You're sour, chunky, smelly milk. All right? Doesn't matter how many times you pour it. How much time? Does the sour milk get better with age? No. Hoo-wee. Leave it in a hot car. <laughs> Who can bring forth a clean thing out of an unclean thing? You can't. You can't. No one can do it. Not men. Great line from Jesus, though. With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Right? He creates something new. Can't make it clean. How about this? In the, the Old Testament, there was a, a distinction between the unclean animal and the clean animal, right? One you could eat. The other you could not. All right? How many donkeys are you going to have breed together? Donkey and donkey are going to produce a sheep. Donkeys are unclean. You cannot eat them. How many times are you going to have a clean animal produced from those two? Never! <laughs> unclean, unclean. Y'all mama, y'all daddy. You. You a donkey. Go back to Job eleven twelve. That's Bible. That ain't me. <laughs> Job eleven twelve. For vain man would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. What's your default? You were born like the baby of a wild donkey. Are they ruly, tame, respectable, easily entreated? No, they do what they want to do. And they're stubborn and mean. They'll bite you. 
That's man by nature. You're a wild ass's colt. Not even a mature wild donkey here. Right? So no matter how many unclean animals you have, they will never produce something that is clean. Okay? How about this? We got pecan trees, right? Y'all ever had diseases getting your pecan trees and the only ones that came out were just polish shells inside shriveled up nasty fruit? But it's a good tree. I like that tree. It's purdy. What does it produce every single time? Dried up nasty fruit. Now I take two of those diseased trees together and I you know, cross-pollinate. I get some new saplings. I got baby diseased trees. What kind of fruit are they going to breed? The same diseased nasty fruit. Okay? One more word picture. You go over to the mechanic shop, get your oil changed. You know those red rags they use to wipe your hands around? Them greasy. They ugly. You want to put those on the Thanksgiving table? No. Right? Now, if you take two of those, you cut them in half, and you stitch them together, do you now have a purdy white napkin? Well, what if I make a smaller one and we do it again? What if I do it again? Is that ever going to produce something clean that you want your grandmama using to wipe her mouth at Thanksgiving? No! It's unclean! You know what our best righteousness is described as? Filthy rags. And the language in that is even more explicit. We won't go there, but that's our best. It's just filthy rags. We're getting where I'm at. A lot of word pictures. Hang on to one of them at least. Okay? How are you going to teach somebody? Give them a word picture so they have something to take that idea and hold on to it. Okay? Alright? So, our state of corruption, totally corrupt and estranged from God, applies to everybody. Everybody. You got a human daddy and a human body, human mama, you are a human body, it applies to you. Okay? Now, this is a question that you need to answer. When does this kick in? Okay, when does this kick in? When do I become corrupt? And this is what you get a lot of different theology on. People can get widely dis different answers about God and who He is and how He relates to you because of missing this point. Does it kick in when I'm an adult? Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. Yes, the answer is no. But I'm going to prove it to you. In Genesis 8, 21. This is after the flood, right? Before the flood, God's looking at the world. Thoughts are evil continuously. Noah builds an altar after the flood. You know those odd animals, right? There you go. Odd clean animals. Time to be sacrificed. They still got a pair of uh, other ones so they can keep reading. The Lord smelled the sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his adulthood. From his youth. So it doesn't kick in when I'm an adult. I'm, I'm already evil in my youth. Well, let's go back a little bit further. What about, do I have to be, you know, a rational child? Capable of knowing right and wrong? Psalm 58. 3. Psalm 58. 3. The wicked, I'm sorry, who are we? We're the wicked, right? We're corrupt. Are there any good? 
No, not one. So when you see the wicked, it's referring to you and me. That's our default. That's not the wicked are estranged from the womb. What was part of our definition? Totally corrupt and estranged from God. You're estranged from God as early as from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. Wow, well, if you go astray as soon as you're born speaking lies, then guess what? Your corruption has happened before. You are a rational thinking little child who knows right and wrong. You're default even from birth is to speak lies and to be estranged from God. So is it birth? Can we go back even even farther? Yeah. Go back to Psalm 54. No. That's not what I want, is it? Maybe I wrote down the wrong one. Hmm. Y'all help me out. Where's my mother shape me iniquity? Ah, well, y'all know what I'm referring to. Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I wish I had written it down directly, y'all. That's your homework assignment. Find where I left that. But the point is, in that psalm... David is acknowledging that from the moment of conception, he was a sinner. We're not, we're not just, you know, accusing David's mother of being an adulterer or anything vile like that. It's not her sin that he's you know, referring to. It's the fact of who he is. That he was conceived in sin. Because you have sinner plus sinner always equals a new sinner. Right? Psalm 51.5 Thank you. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. It's forming. Right? You have the idea of that the baby, right? Inside a womb. It's still a baby. Call it whatever you want. But it's a baby. While it's still being formed and growing, it is still in iniquity. That's its state. You've got unclean rag, unclean rag, little piece of unclean rag as it's growing bigger. It's still unclean. Okay? From the earliest moment of life, when you're created, you are created a sinner. And you know what? I know that because you're subject to death. Right? People want to get upset when you talk about little babies being sinners. One that's born in the womb. If it wasn't a sinner, it wouldn't die. Is that hard to think about? Yeah. Is it any harder for God to save a baby in the womb than to save an adult? No harder. Does it involve any more involvement or action or participation from the baby in the womb than the adult? It doesn't. Because in this state, you have no involvement. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin. That's it. And being a sinner by nature is enough. Right? That's real sin. That is, that is to be a sinner. Right? You are estranged from God. By Adam's 
action. Even though you didn't sin in the same way that he did, his action affects us all. And guess what? As soon as we're born, we go aside speaking lies. We add to it like nobody's business. All right. You say we're totally corrupt. How bad is it? Right? How bad is it? Every aspect of you is affected. Okay? Go to Romans chapter 3. Again, this is other verses we could look at. This is the clearest one. Romans chapter 3. Start around verse 9. This is actually going to quote something we've already looked at. The idea is looking at Jews versus Gentiles. That's the context. What then are we better than they? Are we as Jews better than Gentiles? The answer is no and no wise. For we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. Why that? Because they're human. As is written, Psalm 14, Psalm uh, 53, I think. There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There are none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. All right, so that's everybody, right? We get that point. How bad is it? Their throat is an open sepulcher. It's an open grave, an open pit. Is that a compliment? No, right? Death, hell, all manner of grave and evil things is what you look in your mouth. <laughs> that's what you see. That's, that's what comes out. And so it's a word picture. Their tongues, they've used deceit. Any of y'all ever lied in your life? No. <laughs> Nobody? No one's told us. You just told one then. Right? <laughs> You've all lied. I've lied. You've all said something that wasn't completely true. You have held some key bits of information. Sometimes you just flat out, you know, the sky is red. We, and it's truly blue. You're right. That's what our default is. Right? You ever had mom and daddy ask you something uncomfortable and you really thought that they would believe you if you pinned it on brother or sister? You've already done it. Right? That's your sin nature coming out. Completely corrupt with their tongues, they've used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Does that sound friendly? Asps, they, they venomous snakes, right? You want to get bit by one? No? Well, you ever had a tongue lashing from somebody? saying things that aren't true or just really hurting your feelings or tearing somebody down. We've all done it, right? Let's not pretend like we haven't, right? Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Ooh. Put that on a resume. Your resumes are accurate. That's describing you and I. No, this is not good. These are bad things. They're not, they're not good. Do these glorify God? Not in the least. So how, how, how much are you affected? Completely. I mean, you got your head, your mouth, your hands, your feet. 
even in even your heart. Right? Jeremiah 17:9. Y'all know it. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful. Ooh. Above all things. Sometimes we leave out the modifiers, right? The heart is deceitful. Well, yes, that's true. No, the heart was deceitful above all things. It's pretty emphatic. <coughs> and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, you just don't know my heart. You don't know your own heart. But what I do know about what God said about our hearts is they're deceitful. We deceive ourselves. They're wicked. They'll lead us on a wrong path. Why? Because it's corrupt. It's crooked. It does not lead you. You are not naturally going to follow straight line that God has set up. His path, his way, his line, that's not where we start. Now, can you do anything about it? The world would tell you yes. Many religious organizations would say yes. If you will just say this prayer, if you will just ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you will just stop doing that particular sin that we don't like, and you can do those other ones in your, in your mind and in your heart, that's fine, but just don't do those, and then you can seek God. Or, or go ahead and seek God so you can seek God. So what? How many are going to seek God? None! None seek God! Is there any skill that you can, can use? Any talent? Any sacrifice you can make? Any choice? Is there anything you can do to take you out of this state of being estranged from God and totally corrupt? No. And that's really the key to what we believe. Because if you have a distorted understanding of total depravity, and you think that, well, yeah, we're not good, but we ain't all that bad, and if you just, then you miss the rest of what God has done. You don't understand what grace truly is. Because you think you've done something to earn it or to allow God to give it to you or to accept it. If you think that you can reject it, then that involves you having some power or influence or might over God. And you don't. Okay? You and I are too proud. I and I am too proud. And if you want to be humbled, these basic fundamental truths about who we are, do that. Right? If we put up on the screen everything that ran through your head yesterday, you didn't even have to say it out loud. We would be mortified. We would be running out the back door because we didn't want to deal with the fallout of having to look y'all in the eye if y'all could see what went on in my head. Much less having a list of everything I said 
or did. Right? Sin is rampant. And yet, God still chose to love you. So, if you can't do anything to change that state, that's why the expression is used in Ephesians of being dead in trespasses and sins. That's another expression of total depravity. It reflects the relationship between you and God as far as you're concerned. It's dead. Right? If you've got an estranged relationship with your brother out in Texas you ain't seen in 50 years, if you'll swallow your pride and go say, I'm sorry, odds are whatever's between you can be resolved. Right? If one of you just, you know, reaches out in the odds that both of you will, will, will come together, right? You have no ability to reach out to God because you can't remove the problem, right? You're still fundamentally a sinner. You can't change that. You cannot become fresh milk, all right? This is what Jesus was expressing in John chapter 3 about the necessity of a new birth. That just blew Nicodemus' mind. He's like, what, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, you're a master in Israel. Don't you understand these things? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus speaking in John chapter 3, verses uh, 5 and 6. Verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And go back and get three, too. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. To be born again means to be born from above. That's the Greek behind it. To be born again, he's saying, I'm taking something that was corrupt, and I'm creating something new. Okay, You're created a new creature. It's driving Ephesians 2. Created unto good works, that you should walk for them and please him. We'll look at that specifically later, but... He, by the Holy Spirit, is what gives you new birth. If you have to be born again, does that not reflect on what you were before? You were in a state of corruption and dead. Dead in trespasses of sin. So that which is new, God's not taking that spoiled milk and saying, all right, now it's good milk. He's creating something new within you, a new creature. And it's good. And it doesn't spoil. And it doesn't expire. Right? So that greasy rag that you start from, he's giving you something in the spirit. It's a new spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. No matter how many times you have flesh procreate, it's only going to produce flesh. But him by the Holy Spirit is giving you new life, which he will do for every single one of his children of God. Whether it's on their final moment before death, thief on the cross, or while they're still in the womb, John the Baptist, and somewhere in between, he's going to give them new life. Who's the one doing it? Him, because he's the only one who can do anything. You can't change that state. So giving you new life is his gift. And it's an operation of the Holy Spirit. You didn't have anything to do with it. That's why you get the language in Ephesians chapter 2 of quickening. Quickening is an old school world. It means to make alive. You know what they used to call mercury? Quicksilver. Because in a the thermometer, they got hot. What would it do? It moved. That was pretty neat. A metal that moved, right? It's kind of like it was alive. Only this is not the illusion like that. 
He's actually giving you life. Spiritual life. Verse uh, 1 of Ephesians 2. And you hath he quickened. You're presently alive. That's who he's writing to. People who are born again and alive in the Spirit. You who were dead in trespasses and sins. That was your state. That's where we all start from. Dead. Spiritually dead. Estranged from God. In trespasses and in sins. In iniquity. No. Uh, in corruption. And doing abominable works. It's who we are and what we do. Or rather, did. Where it in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. You look like the world. The path that the world was leading down, you were happy. Here we go. Right? I want this. I'm going to chase that. Ooh, that looks pretty. I'm going to get that. This will make me feel good. I'm going to, you know, I don't care about you. I don't care about God. Corrupt. Completely. Thoroughly. That's where you were. According to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Yeah, that's another name for Satan. That was who you were following down. That's the path. What's the path of the world? That's, that's Satan's path. Is that something you want? I want to see how close I can get to the world's path without rejecting God. Is that the standard? Well, let's say, do I really want to follow Satan? If you put it in those terms, you're like, no, of course not. But I really want to do this thing over here. Well, that's the path of Satan. That's what he leaves. That's what he wants you to do because he rebels against God. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedient. Who are they disobedient to? God! Who were you disobedient to before you were born again? God! Right? Among whom also. We all had our conversation in times past. We all? Is there any exceptions? Now that we're in the church, are we sin-free? Do, 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 do we not have pasts? Where we've done things that are wrong? No, we all had that same conversation. The conversation means manner of life. In time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh... And of the mind, and were by nature, were by nature. That is real clear. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Okay? Totally corrupt. That was our nature. But God. Not but you, sinner. Not but that preacher. Not but that little track that somebody gave you. And then you got things together and you picked yourself up and you got it figured out. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. i got to get myself cleaned up before I can go to God. You ain't got no soap. Your limbs is effectively dead so you can't wash anything. And you, ain't got, you, you cannot. He loved you. Then, and he loved you enough to clean you up. That's what Christ came to do. And that's what he accomplished. How are we different than every other group out there? We believe that Jesus did what he set out to do. Fully, period. That's as simple as it gets. Jesus came to save a people. He saved the people. Hooray for the Savior. Hooray for the people. It works out really well for them. Now live in that truth. Real world impact. Having this understanding of this basic principle. And you say it's basic. If I were to ask y'all before this to say, give me a definition for total depravity. I'll wait. 
You got some verses that you could point me to to, to show that? Unless you've been studying it in advance this week, it might have been a hard question. But this is something we got to go. We got to know. Internalize and to be able to teach. Right? But this has a real world impact. Okay? Let's ask a question. How can people be so awful to each other? Sister Sarah has to see things in her role at Casa that would curl your toenails, that would leave you under the sheets crying because of how awful people are to each other, to children, to the elderly. They ain't had to do grand jury duty. Make you want to move. There's nowhere you can move to. If you understand this, you understand the question of why are people awful to each other? Because that's our state. That's our default. That is who we are. We are inherently, innately, totally corrupt and estranged from God unless a but God has interjected himself and changed you and given you new life and a desire to serve him and please him, unless he's done that, that's where you stay. And that's where the world stays. Why are things so awful in the world? Because of sin. And it's full of sinners. And it's not going to change by any human intervention. Let me put my faith in this this nonprofit, we're gonna we're gonna put an end to violence, put an end to hunger, put an end to abuse. If we just put enough time and energy and have enough rallies, we're gonna fix it. Can it be fixed? No. Can you make some improvement around the margins? Sure. Can you make consequences felt? Sure. But you and I and no entity, no government cannot fix where the source is. The depraved human heart, which Jesus said, out of the heart cometh wickedness, adulteries, fornication, hatred, malice, murder, you name it. It's the corruption from within that cannot be solved here except for but God. Why have there been so many wars through over the years? Pride, desire for power, ambition, resources, all those things that come from, I'm going to get my own. Well, if we would just have a better education system and we all learn the right things and we become enlightened, then we would live in a kumbaya society and everything would be great. <laughs> That's been tried. <laughs> right? Y'all go look up how you know, compounds and utopias turn out. They fall apart. Do you know what's contained within them? Sinners. Bunch of sinners. <laughs> right? <laughs> if you know that to be true, then do you have to be discouraged when you see the world spiraling out of control, getting farther and farther and farther in your eyes from God? Are they any farther from God? It's just our perception. People are doing things that make us feel yucky or we're seeing things that we don't want to see. It's all been going on since the fall. All the same sins, just in a different pattern, different package, and it's more visible on your phones. 
Do you have to be upset by any of that? I'm not saying it's not wrong. It is. I'm not saying it's not distressing on some level. But as a believer in Jesus Christ who knows that men are inherently evil and knows that the only thing that can change that is but God, can you trust Him? You can. So you don't have to be upset when the wrong guy gets elected or the wrong Supreme Court case comes down or something that you don't like and that I don't like occurs and things just feel like they're getting worse and worse. What can change them? God changing hearts. What's something that I want you and I to be passionately praying for for the rest of this year? Right? We got those first Wednesdays where we, we've set it aside and none of us really participate, right? We kind of give it a, a hem and haul. Y'all were, y'all were really diligent about it when, when you were praying for a pastor or something tangible that you were looking for and needing and wanted God to answer, right? And that was, that was good. It's acute. It was, it was targeted. I want us to be just as passionate about something that's bigger. All right, two prongs. Prong one, I want us to be praying that there will be a hunger for truth. All right? There's a lot of things you can fill your time and energy and your money and your mind with, and it's fluff. It's like having cotton candy. Melts in your mouth, does you no good. All right? And, and people fill their lives up with it. And we fill our lives up with it. But we have access to the truth. That which doesn't change and that which talks about the God who loved us even when we were in that gross, vile, corrupt state. Let's be praying that in our communities and across the nation and world alone that there will be a hunger for truth. And that God will change hearts. Can there be you know, a great awakening? There's a time when there's, there's, there's been... Cycles through history where God moves and men's hearts are changed. And there's more people whose hearts are changed. Are there always going to be a remnant? Yeah. Does that remnant have to be so small? It's up to God. Right? But it could be bigger. Right? Because there's a hunger. And the Lord has already intervened. And guess what? You find someone like that, you got someone to talk to. You got something good to say. You can't make anybody hungry. That's right. Just can't. You cannot change their hearts. You just can't. But if the Lord changes the heart and they've got a hunger to hear the truth, ooh-wee, what an opportunity. talked about amazing grace we've sung that song one of the preachers this weekend said amazing grace you know how sweet the sound to save a wretch like you (laughs) not me I'm pretty good right that's sometimes how we act like we're singing the song, but we don't really mean that I'm a wretch. You know what a wretch is? Here's a good definition of it, y'all. A vile, sorry, despicable person of reprehensible character. That sounds like it'd be the song about the Grinch, right? 
<laughs> Saved a Grinch like me, right? Vile, sorry, despicable person of reprehensible character. And if you don't know the truth about total depravity and you don't understand where God saved you from, you don't know that's you. That's me. That's every single child of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, when we had a little strength, without, zero, nada, nil, zilch, no strength. Why? Because you were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. You were strange. You had no strength to deliver yourself in due time, in his time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Kenneth Brantley used this illustration. And I'm going to steal it. I'm not stealing. I'm giving credit. Citing Brother Kenneth Brantley. The list that you and I have for who we are willing to die for is probably pretty short. I think it'd fill up this page. I if I tore it in half. How about a post-it note? How about one of those little flags you stick inside of your Bible? Scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet how many of us are willing to trade one of our kids to save someone's life? That's a little higher standard, isn't it? God didn't withhold His only Son. And He didn't give them to redeem a righteous group or even a good group. But the ungodly, vile, totally depraved sinners, completely corrupt and separated from Him. We've sinned against God. That's who we offend. This is going to be a hard word picture, and it, it may not be appropriate, but I'm going to say it anyway. Imagine someone came in and killed your spouse. They're on death row. And you take your child down there and say, we're going to make a swap. I'm going to get that one out, and I'm going to let my child die in his place. You're like, I couldn't do that. If you're honest, you say that. I couldn't either. But all that we've done to offend and sin against God for our entire lives and all of His people put together... He went down to that death row and took them out and put his son in their place. And the son went voluntarily, knowing it was his father's will, to save those people. 
If you don't understand this doctrine, you don't understand how amazing grace is. It's not just, I was a little bad and I needed a little sanding. You know, I'm, I'm, you got, I got like a little little teaspoon hole that I need to fill up, right? I got a little teaspoon. Just, just put a little goodness in me and then I'm good, right? Y'all, we're like the Grand Canyon of wickedness that needed to be filled in. And then a mountain of righteousness was put upon it. You couldn't do it. But that's the depth of how bad and low we are. Why do we get upset when other people judge us? Because we think they don't think highly enough of us. You know what we need to do when we're thinking about that? Think lower of ourselves. If they really knew you, they'd think a lot lower of you. But we're really good, like Adam and Eve, of trying to cover up sins to ourselves and ignoring them. Folks are judging me. Folks really knew me. They'd have a lot to judge. Right? I mean, I want y'all judging each other. No, I want you thinking about where have I come from of being worthy, justly worthy of being cast into hell for eternity because of who I am and what I've done. And while there, all I can say is, holy, 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 thou art a righteous God. And I've been plucked up from that, from the depths of hell, where I should be, to be adopted into the family of the king. What did I do to deserve it? I did everything not to deserve it. I gave God every reason to cast me out and reject me by who I am and what I am and what I do. But God... He put his love upon you, and 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 upon you, while you're yet sinners and ungodly, and gave his son for you, and created within you, he tells you about this by revealing himself to you by his Holy Spirit, and gives you new life, and gives you a new nature that now desires to please him. The idea that the world says about saying these prayers and asking Jesus into your heart, if you have the desire to do that, he's already there. Just acknowledge it. Now, do you need to acknowledge that he's the Lord and you need to bend your life and submit to it? Yeah, we call that conversion. We call that, I know <laughs> who he is. Now i got to do something to live in accordance to his will. That doesn't change who he is and what he's already done for me. I'm, I'm alive. I know what he's done because I'm alive. He's there. If you can learn what total depravity means and the rest of these doctrines that we hold and value, they fall into place. If you don't have this one down, you can be led astray by sticks and stubble and inferior things that aren't truth because you don't have this foundation laid up. It's slanted. If you're just a little, if you're mostly bad, if you're mostly dead, you're dead! Right? Jesus has given you this offer. If you will just accept it, you're there in the box in the coffin. Here, take this peppermint from me. If you do, you can get out of the coffin. 
we don't have to take you to the cemetery. Here. Same response every time. Why? Because they're dead! But this truth gets squishy to people. Instead of being a firm foundation, it becomes, you know, sludge. Don't build on sludge. Learn this. Internalize this so much so that you can teach this. I can't do a foundational sermon every Sunday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try and do a series here. I'm going to try and go through what I think you, you need to know, the basics. But there's a lot more I have to go into. There's, there's, there's application of, okay, how do we do this? What does this look like? And so i got to bounce around sometimes. But those that you're responsible for teaching, lay that groundwork, and it's got to be repeated over and over and over and over. How often does a kindergarten teacher repeat herself? Hundreds of times a day, right? Sometimes we're 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 a little slow slow on the uptake, right? Is this worthy of your time? Absolutely. To so take some effort and thought and study. Yeah. Are y'all capable of those things? Yeah. Thank the good Lord for you.